Who loves the word of the Lord today? Can you say amen? <clears throat> when I was a child, uh, just a couple of years ago, um, there's a song we sang. It's all a song in my head. You know that. song we sang in church occasionally. Uh, it's not really a hymn. It's more of a song of commitment, and it's somewhat in the form of a prayer. There will probably be a handful, uh, handful of people here who know it. But the verse went like this, out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife or plentiful, making the sorrowing glad. And the chorus of the refrain says, make me a blessing, make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray, make me a blessing to someone today. In the 60s and 70s, we sang it with real zeal and gusto. And can I just say that as a child growing up in church, my father a pastor, um, so much of my uh, early childhood was shaped by the hymns that we sang, the theology of the hymns and the richness of the text. And, and I remember I, I had no possible ability to um, really fully appreciate them. I didn't even understand some of the words in them or the verbiage that was being used. But what I vividly remember, what struck me is obviously it had significance to people that I respected and that I knew and that I loved within our congregation. Because when I would watch them sing something and tears would roll down their cheek, as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy, I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, I hope I understand this song someday and it has as much meaning to me as it has to them. Well, this was one of those songs. We sang it with great sincerity. Now, the song is outdated today from a musical perspective, but I can't help but wonder if we still give value, as we did back in the day, to being a blessing to others. I, if I'm really honest, I'm not too sure how concerned many of us are today about being a blessing to others. We tend to be much more anxious about others being a blessing to us. Am I right? Um, it also brings to mind something that um, another, I learned it as a musical piece, but it's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, let me sow hope. Where there's sadness, joy. Where there's darkness, light. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be loved as to love, to be understood as to understand. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. How many want to be a blessing to your day and generation? Can you say amen this morning? All of this and my thoughts this week as I was preparing to speak to you uh, have reminded me that quite often I hear a phrase from one of you that sounds something like this. Pastor Dan, I know the Lord's just not finished with me yet. Um, and I know that He has something distinctive that He wants me to do. I, I hear that very, very often. Well, I want to take that idea along with the idea that I presented to you last week about the promise given to Abraham, I didn't do a very good job last week. I was terribly disappointed that I didn't communicate my heart in the way that I intended. If the Lord did something with it, I'm grateful for that, but, but um, hopefully I'll do a little better today. Um, I want us to look at this idea of the promise given to Abraham. And if you recall, last week we were saying it was that promise that provided the impetus for the turnaround in King David's action. He had been counting his military, counting the people, and then he discovered that was displeasing to the Lord. And so what was the turnaround for him was when he remembered, ah, but I have the promise of God through Abraham for the people of Israel. So I want to talk about this morning the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. So I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. I want to lay the foundation of it, and then I'm going to, uh, we're going to put it on pause, and we're going to rewind a little bit, and then we'll get back to working through Genesis 18, which will be our text for the morning. Genesis 18, starting with the first verse. Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, 
by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. We'll get to that in a minute. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the ground, and he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, Abraham said, do not pass on by your servant. So if I can get you to this morning, if I can get you to sort of plant that scene, here's Abraham in the heat of the day sitting in the door, the opening to the tent, and suddenly three men appear. We're going to talk about all of that, and, but when they appeared... Something told him, I, when I approached them, I am to bow low. And then he literally says, please, if I have found favor, favor, do not pass me by. Just pause that for a second and then let me rewind. The picture goes fuzzy right here. We're going to go back 25 years before and find out how he got to this point. And then we'll pick back up there in just a minute. It had been a long, long journey for Abraham to get to this place called Mamre. In fact, uh, if you'll go back to Genesis 12, keep your finger in Genesis 18 because we'll be back there uh, in a bit. Uh, In your Bible, it had been almost 25 years since the Lord first called him to leave his homeland to travel to the place where God had said this to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing so powerful that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise of God. In Genesis 12, it says this, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, here's what I want to say to us this morning. This calling that God gave to Abraham was not just to Abraham, but it is to all of us today who consider ourselves Christ followers or believers in Christ. You have also experienced this same calling. For when the Lord called you, when He put His hand upon you, He called you to something bigger than you had ever known. He called you to something larger than where you had lived, and he called you and I to leave behind that which was familiar to us, to go to a place that can only be achieved in God, with, and, and, but it was that which you were not familiar with. And it could only be done with, uh, not in our own strength, but in God's strength. And the Lord said to Abraham in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Say the word blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham would have had no way of knowing how this was going to be fulfilled when he received that word. And to be honest, he made plenty of mistakes along the way. Then there came a point when Abram was in Egypt that he particularly ran into a lot of trouble, but the Lord delivered him. And such are some of us here this morning. We've run into plenty of trouble since we've become a Christian, and it's not been an easy journey. Maybe you've been found in places that you shouldn't be. You don't even know how you got there to that point. You wish you hadn't gone here or hadn't gone there, and you're wondering if God is ever going to get you out. I know that we have some here this morning who feel that way. And just as it happened for Abraham, I'm here to tell you, it will happen for you. The Lord will be faithful to you. Even when you are faithless to him, God remains faithful to us. Who's glad about it this morning? Even when you struggle, even when you are in trials, even when you find yourself in difficulty, because when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, guess what? He actually meant it. Thank God. He knows, the Lord knows that this world is going to pull back on you and try to get you inside the comfort of its arms. Abraham had the, Abraham had the realization, like you and I must have the realization, oh God, if I'm going to become anything, if I'm truly going to be able to receive the blessing that you have given, if I'm going to be a blessing to others, it's going to be you who does it. And then we start praying sincere and heartfelt prayers like, Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Let me be the one who is a blessing to others. And I know that I can't get to where I need to go on my own strength. You're going to have to take me there. 
Genesis 13, verse 14, uh, verse 14, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, now, look as far as you can in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. That's what David last week turned around and saw. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. Those of you who've studied the Word at all know that the Bible is full of what we refer to as types and shadows. There's several types I'm going to present to you today because it is a very real type of God, what we just read, of God saying to us when he's going to give you from the north, south, east, and west, here's where I'm taking that, what he's saying to us, get in the book, my brother, get in the book, my sister, whatever way that you choose to do that, and walk its length, go from the north to the south, from the east to the west, through every page and chapter and everything that's in this book because I'm going to give it to you. I died to give it to you. I rose again from the dead to take your captivity captive and to give you gifts that you cannot get by yourself, to make you a blessing everywhere you go. I'm going to make your life an incredible blessing, which was promised through your father, Abraham. Somebody give the Lord praise for that today. <clears throat> Genesis 13, 18. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. And of course, that's where we started. But I do want you to note, and then in the 15th chapter, the verse 5, then the Lord took Abram outside and he said to him, look up in the sky. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants that you will have. And you know what, Bethesda? You know what Abraham was looking at? He was looking at you and me, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the descendants of Abraham. Remember that it was the Lord Jesus himself who said in Matthew 5, you are the light of this world. You are as the stars set in the heavens for light which will provide the ability for people to navigate this world and find the place where God has destined them to go. You are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. And in the next little season, the Lord then makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's where we see that God himself came down and made a covenant to be fulfilled through Abraham. And, and you know what? Abraham's part of that, uh, what his job was there? His job was to chase away the birds, get the birds away. That was his entire job, to keep away those vultures that would come down and try to devour the promise that God was making. And do you know what, church? You and I have to do the same thing. We have to do the same. We have to chase away the vultures. We try to chase the birds off of our head who come down and try to say, us, say to us, do you really believe in God? Do you really trust God in this situation you're facing today? Do you really believe that God will do this for you? And do you really believe that God will make you a blessing to your day and to your generation? Our job is to chase the birds away, the, the, particularly the birds of doubt and fear, and just say, shoo away, I choose to believe God. No matter what my eyes see, no matter what my ears hear, I'm going to believe the Lord. Get away! I remind you this morning, Bethesda, God is faithful. I said, God is faithful, and he cannot be anything other than what he is. And every promise he has made to you and I, he's going to fulfill. Whoever sang as a kid, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Well, this brings us full circle back to where we put it on pause a minute ago, this place called Mamre. It's almost 25 years after God initially made Abram this promise that he was going to increase him, that Abram was going to be a blessing. And in that 25 years, uh, not a lot really happened, at least nothing that Abram, Abraham could see. And we know that Abraham actually, what he chose to do since nothing was happening, he saw nothing about the promise being fulfilled, nothing his eyes could see or his ears could hear, so he decided to help God out in fulfilling the promise. So you remember that he took his wife's servant girl and had a son by her whose name was Ishmael, 
because he must have become impatient with God. Has anyone here ever become impatient with God? You've prayed and prayed, believed God would do something, and sometimes it can just appear that God is not moving fast enough for you and for me. And so what we do, we try to push it along a little bit. We're going we're to help Him. We try to push ourselves into, even into ministries and places where we are not yet supposed to be, and we wind up with an Ishmael. And you wonder, God, how did I ever get to this place? So here we are 25 years after the promise was given to Abraham. We see him sitting at the door of the tent in Mamre in the heat of the day. We know something about heat in Texas, don't we? Abraham is in the place where he's just dealing with day-to-day stuff. It's hot, like downtown Fort Worth in August. It's hot. It's difficult. He's just dealing with life, the everyday life stuff that we're all, we all have to deal with. He's dealing with his son Ishmael. His two wives are fighting, which always reminds me that could be why the New Testament tells us we're supposed to be the husband of one wife, you know. Can you imagine Solomon? How many wives did he have? Like a, a thousand wives? Imagine keeping up with the birthday and anniversary cards. He kept Hallmark in business, surely. So the heat of the day, dealing with regular daily stuff, daily, daily stuff. It's hot, it's difficult. But you know what, Bethesda, our society is hot right now. The heat of anger seems to be everywhere. Am I right about it? The cords that once sort of restrained or constrained us appear now to have snapped and are broken. So we know what the heat of the day looks like in our political scene for sure, in our society. But it's also hot on the job where you work. You know that you're not even allowed to express a biblical worldview anymore? Not supposed to. So in the midst of being there 25 years after the promise was initially made to Abraham, what's happened, it appears to have happened, is Abraham has somewhat made peace with where he, where he is and what he has, and he's just dealing with the heat, when suddenly the Son of God appears to him. The Son of God? Dan, this is the Old Testament. Isn't this the Old Testament? Uh-huh. But everyone who studies this passage, and if you look at any concordance or any commentary, I want you to know, you'll find it is generally understood that this was actually Christ himself who appeared. But he wasn't born yet. Oh, he's the Word of God. In the beginning was, he's the one who has always been. Don't tell me he couldn't have made an appearance. In fact, what we call it, it has a couple of names, a pre-incarnate appearance is what we believe in every uh, research that I have says it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ with two angels accompanying him. Now this pre-incarnate appearance has a name, it's called a Christophany, Christophany. And what's interesting to me is Abraham knows us the Lord because it's of the way he addresses him. And then the Lord then speaks back to him as only the Lord could do. Now, I'm back on track with Genesis 18, and we're going to work our way through here. Verse 2 of 18. So he, Abraham, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the ground, and he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight... Do not pass by on your servant. I was thinking about this this week, saying, Lord, how can I communicate this well to Bethesda? I know that there are people here today who in the quiet of your own heart, maybe you've shared it with others, maybe you haven't, maybe you're just dealing with the heat of the day. It's been a long, long time since you've really sensed the presence of the Lord in your life for whatever reason. It's been a long haul since you felt like you first received a promise from God. Maybe you know there's a promise over your life. 
Someone spoke a word to you, maybe a prophetic word, whatever, whatever it was. But it's been so long that you've just sort of decided to deal with it in the heat of the day. Maybe someone promised, gave you the promise or gave you a word of a promise that, would, that you would be a blessing, that would make you a blessing to others. And, but the truth is, in your heart of hearts, you feel like you've been anything but a blessing. But suddenly, suddenly, say that word, suddenly. Maybe in the midst of worship today, you feel Him passing by you one more time. And something in you rises up to say, oh my God, oh my God, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Do not pass me by. Lord, it's been so long. But if that's you, I need you today more than I've ever needed you before. If I have found favor in your sight, please don't pass me by. Have mercy upon me today. God, you said my life was to be a blessing, but I sure don't feel like my life is a blessing. And what we see here is that 25 years later, God suddenly begins to speak to Abraham. Bethesda, I have news for you today. God waits. I see you like that. God waits. His timetable is not our timetable. His calendar is not our calendar. Over the years, I've heard great men of God talk about their desire to live to see a spiritual awakening, a significant turning to God. Many times I've been in a time of an altar service, and I've seen people really beseeching the Lord, Lord, revival, revival. They're just earnest in wanting to see that. And they would speak of being full of energy and excitement and ready to go out and make that happen. And somewhere along the way, they come to the realization, and this is going to be tough to hear, God will never give the mantle of revival to a man until he no longer wants it. Chew on that a while. God will never give the mantle of revival to a man until he no longer wants it. What a tough thing to hear. But it seems all too often that we must come to the place where we've exhausted our own ambitions. We've exhausted our own strength. We're just dealing with the heat of the day. The promise seems to be many, many, many years. It is a faint memory. Even in my rearview mirror, I don't see it anymore. It's not been fulfilled, and we've actually made peace in some measure that we may never live to see what God spoke to our heart. I would venture to say that's where Abraham found himself. But when he felt the Lord passing by, man, songs are just floating in my head right now. Jesus is passing this way today, today. But he felt the Lord passing by. Lord, if I have found favor, if after all these years, and he had nothing to point to. There was no litany of great faithfulness in his life. He'd made some terrible mistakes along the way. But he felt the Lord passing by again. He says, God, if I found favor in your sight, please do not pass me by today. And when Abraham gets through it all, with the Lord patiently waiting, the Lord then speaks and he says this. I'm in verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. By the way, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, what's she laughing for? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am so old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let me give you a little insight to that. 
right here in this verse uh, 14, anything too hard for the Lord. That word hard here is the same word as in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is describing the Lord when it says, His name shall be called Wonderful. It's the exact same word. I, I, I encourage you to go look it up. Which means you could translate this statement, is, is there anything too hard for the Lord to say this? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have... i got to back up. Some of you don't think God's going to do anything wonderful for you. You've decided you're going to settle for whatever else. You know one of the prayers I pray most often for folks? God, give them a word of encouragement today. Let something fantastic happen for them. Some of us get in such a, uh, a mode of assuming, well, nothing good has, never, has ever happened, nothing good ever will happen. I want you to know, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? The answer is no, there is not. At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Incredible. God waits until we can't do something, and then he does it. God waits until you can't do it. And then he does it. And I'm telling you, if he did it, before you and I got to the place of knowing with confidence that only the Lord could do this, only the Lord could have done this, you know what would happen? If, 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 if he did it before that moment, you and I would touch the glory just as sure as I'm standing here talking to you. And it would go something like this, oh, look what Jesus and I did. And then you know what would happen? Jesus would become real small, and I would become really big. And then I would write a book on it, telling everyone how we did this thing. My friend, if God has determined to do something through your life or my life, he is going to wait until it is abundantly clear, not only to you, but probably everyone around you, that it cannot be done apart from him. Because it's not by might. It's not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not going to happen, God, until you do it, unless you do it. You may just be trying to get through the heat of the day, giving up on being a real blessing on the world, to the world. You may have even given up on trying to help God make you a blessing in the world. And suddenly he comes to you and he says, okay, 25 years, heat of the day, tough stuff, mistakes, messed up Life full of flaws, now you're ready. Perfect, now you're ready. Now you're ready for me to do through you what I promised. Let this be a word to somebody in this house today. When Abraham was too old and Sarah was beyond childbearing, these folks were almost 100 years old. And God says, now I'm going to give you a child. I need a break for just a second, okay? My throat's dry. Can you imagine that? I mean, come on. I cannot even imagine. We've had our 13-month-old granddaughter in the house for a week and a half, and it's been absolutely fabulous. Sheridan is here from Georgia. Her husband was sent to Virginia on Army business for a couple of weeks, and she decided to come and spend the time with us. She's going back this week. But I have to say, I completely understand why God gives babies to people when they are young enough and energetic enough to handle them. Do I get a witness in the house today? It's tough for an old man to keep up. And then on the night of Trunk or Treat, Thursday night, Sheridan, our daughter, had purchased this cute little costume for her baby Kenzie that turned, out, that turned the baby into a golden doodle puppy. Okay? Is that the cutest thing you've ever seen? So, 
I got to tell you this. Sheridan has an actual golden doodle who also came to visit us for these two weeks. Becky and I have a golden doodle. And so when Sheridan found this, this costume is the exact color of our two dogs. So somebody in the house got this bright idea of how cute it would be to get a picture of baby Kinsey with a golden doodle on this side and one on the other side and stage it that way with the, with the dogs on, on either side. Uh, okay, we're trying to get a 13-month-old and two dogs to pose for a picture. I gave up. I totally gave up. And speaking of not having energy, then this past Friday, Shayla, our son, he and his wife Natalie have a, a new baby. They dropped off their seven-week-old Soren with me to babysit. So get it. I had a seven-week-old. I had a 13-month-old. I had two dogs and a cat. All in one house. Can I just tell you, I'm too old for that. All I can say is, thank God the pig is gone, not still with us. How many remember the pig story I told? <laughs> Tried to find a picture, but I think I've eradicated that from all memory. Can you imagine being 100 years old and God's giving you a baby who's going to turn into a toddler? Who then, God forbid, is going to turn into a teenager? And when you look at the head of this, at the scripture, then you see the Lord saying, Why is Sarah laughing at all this? I think I know. So after this incredible promise to Abraham, Scripture says the men arose. That's Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, and the two angels. And Abraham arose with them. And they began to walk toward Sodom. Sodom is a city about to be judged. Perversion had risen in that city to the point where the report of it had reached heaven. And Christ himself had come down with two messengers to say, we're going we're gonna to go into the city to see if the report is really as bad as we're hearing. And they went into that city, which is about to burn because of the judgment of God. But the flashpoint of God's judgment was when young and old men of that city knew that two angels had come into town and that they were staying at Lot's house, Abraham's nephew. You know the story. The men surrounded the house and they began to beat on the doors, demanding that they could have sexual relations with the two strangers, the two angels that had come. Let us never underestimate how depraved humanity can become without God. Let us never underestimate how depraved humanity can be without God. Once you remove the foundation stone of Christ, once you remove the Word of God, there is no limit to the depth of depravity that can come. And it is only, church, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that restrains evil in this world. And thank God he does. But God had had enough when he saw that they surrounded the house and attempted to break in and make the messengers of God to be partakers of their sin. Bethesda, you know and I know we are not all that far from that today. You're awfully quiet today. You're making me nervous. There's a concerted effort going on in these days even to push into the house of God and force the ministers of God to acquiesce to the immoral lifestyles of our generation and to agree with definitions of things that God does not agree with. We are frighteningly close to the very same moment that they were in in Sodom in this particular passage of Scripture. So they're heading towards Sodom, verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham 
what he has spoken to him. The point is this. God said, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, simply because he is determined to do what is right. He is determined to believe me, God said. He's determined to follow me. He's determined to instruct his house in the ways of the Lord. And church, when you and I make that determination, we're going to believe God, we're going to follow God, we're going to instruct our household in the ways of God. One of the things that happens when you make a commitment, a solid commitment to do this, is God begins to open the eyes of your heart, open your eyes of your understanding to the times that we are living in. Verse 20, and the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, the news that made it to heaven, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. So now, it's just Abraham and the pre-incarnate Jesus standing there alone. One would assume that they could see Sodom. It was, in their, uh, it was in their view from a distance. Abraham has just been told that judgment is coming, and he's standing face to face with Christ, and we are about to see a certain type of prayer. We may not realize it or always act upon it, But the truth is, as believers, we have incredible power in prayer, incredible power with God in prayer. We should never lose sight of His sovereignty, never lose sight of the fact that God is God. We should never lose our ability to conclude our prayers with, not my will, but thine be done. At the same time, well, just look what happens. Abraham is not a perfect man. It's not that he has lived a flawless life. He's made mistakes along the way. He has doubted God. He's tried to help God out by taking matters into his own hands. Yet God is still with him, and Abraham is standing face to face with the pre-incarnate Christ, Christophany, as they stand just outside the city, which is about to come under the judgment of God. Verse 23, and Abraham came near and said, "Um, would you also destroy the the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in the city? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous. He's talking to God. To slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, you read that, you go, the audacity. He's standing in front of Christ. He's standing in front of the Word of God, the one who was from the beginning, the one through whom all things were created. And what I find interesting in that moment is that the Son of God is not offended by His prayer. God is not offended with our honesty, even when our scope of understanding, our scope of vision is extremely limited because you and I only see through a glass darkly. Verse 26. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Now hang on to all this. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. There's a smidge of humility here. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for for lack of five? So he said, okay, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. God said, I will, will, uh, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. How about 20? Okay, I won't destroy it for the sake of 20. And he said, let not the Lord be angry. Please don't be mad at me, but I want to speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And the response was, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. 
So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham returned to his tent in Mamre. There are two things that I want you to note specifically about this. It's the most important part of the message. First thing, why did he stop at 10? He knew that his nephew Lot was there. Lot's wife was there. And we know from Scripture that there were a total of four righteous in the city because the angels took those four out. So this puts Abraham at six short of a victory. And, you know, there's no indication from what we've read that the Lord, during their dialogue, said, stop, stop, that's enough. You've already got me down to 30, so stop there. No, none of that. The Lord didn't stop him at all from continuing in the mode he was in. In fact, he probably could have gotten, he could have gone on and gotten the number down to five or even four. Here's where my mind goes with this. It reminds us that sometimes in our prayers, we stop just short of a victory. We stop short. We feel that our assessment of the situation has been reasonable. I mean, after all, he got him down from total destruction to not destroying if there were only 10 found righteous. And I bet Abraham walked away and said, wow, that was a prayer meeting if there ever was one. Felt like he had done well. But he was six souls short of a victory. If he had just kept going in his prayer, perhaps history would have recorded something completely different. The second thing that I notice, and I want you to notice about this interaction between Abraham and Christ, is this. Now, we know that Jesus Christ is omniscient, which means all-knowing. He knows everything. So, guess what? He already knew how many righteous people were in the city. The Lord knew that. But doesn't that beg a question? Why is God playing this game with Abraham? Or is he playing a game? Is it possible that Jesus was looking for something that Abraham was not fully aware of? Or is it possible that when you and I read it, we don't see it either? We're not aware of it either. When Abraham first approached him, Jesus could have said this, there aren't 50 righteous in Sodom, because he knew. In fact, there's not 40, there's not 30, there's not even 10. Why did he allow that conversation with Abraham to continue and allow Abraham to continue to ask, was the Lord looking for something? I think he was. Because what we see here is Abraham is a type of, of the church, and it was the church that was going to come through Abraham and be the blessing. I'm here to announce to you today, we are the blessing that was promised by God through Abraham. Through Abraham came the patriarchs of Israel, through the patriarchs came the Savior, through the Savior came the church, through the church came you and I. We are the blessing that was promised by God through Abraham. So Abraham fell short in his request. And I'm going to propose to you what I think Christ was looking for because something had to be behind this exercise that they were going through. Here's what I think. I think Christ was letting him go on, but he was waiting for Abraham to say this. God, spare the city and I will go. Spare it, please, and I will go. I will go and be the blessing that you promised I would be 25 years ago. Send me, give me 30 days, give me 60 days to open my mouth. If Abraham had been willing to go, he he could have walked in to say, listen, folks, I've just had a face-to-face encounter with God, and God told me that this city was going to burn if you don't turn to him. I believe with all my heart that God was looking for Abraham to be willing to go and evangelize Sodom. That's what I think was going on. So the question to us this morning How often do you and I stop short in our prayers? How often do you just 
Become content with whatever's there. But you're six souls short. How often do we simply not have the eyes to see that God may be looking for something else in you as he was in Abraham? Another way for this to happen. How often do we stop not not six short, but one short of the victory? And Abraham stopped before he said, me, me, me. The Lord is always looking for you and I. God, would you give me a chance to extend the mercy I've received from you to the people that I touch every day? Lest they come under judgment, God, would you send me? God, I'll be the one to go. I'll tell them about your mercy. I'll tell them about your kindness. I'll tell them about the goodness of the Lord. I'll tell them how faithful you have been to me. Even when I've messed up and been faithless, you've still been faithful. I'll tell them about your willingness to forgive. And let my world know that there is mercy for you if you choose to want it. God is willing to be merciful. He is a judge. And one day we will all be judged. And one day the cities of this world will burn. But until that day comes, I don't know about you, I'm not just going to turn around and go back to Mamre and sit in front of the tent. I want to go to my world and start to speak to them and be the voice according to the promise that God has given me through Abraham. Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. giving an altar call, and it's a very simple one. And I'm simply asking this, who will stand and in your standing say this, Pastor Dan, it has been way too long since I've sensed the presence of God in my life. I've made mistakes, lots of them. I have doubted God. I have not lived a flawless life. None of us have. But today, Pastor Dan, when you said Lord, don't pass me by. Something leapt within me. And I want to stand this morning to make the commitment that my life will be wholly His. I'm basically asking in this call, if you want to accept Christ this morning as your Savior, if you want to be sure He does not pass you by, would you please stand where you are so that we can pray with you. Those of you standing, come and stand before me, please, so I can see you face to face and in the eyes. If you're standing, please come forward. Bethesda, to reach out your hand to these ladies, please. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Holy Spirit, by your work in the lives of these ladies today, I pray that your conviction will be complete and they will say in their heart, they will walk away from here changed and transformed. That you'll either begin or continue their journey with you. But as their hearts are reaching out to you today, Father, I pray that they will experience the amazing presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be undeniable. No question about it. Lord, let something wonderful happen. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? No. Certainly salvation is not too wonderful for the Lord. So I pray your amazing grace to be upon them. Ladies, would you all look up here just for a second? Look right up here. Look right up here. Repeat after me. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I believe he died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe that on the third day he rose again in victory. And I believe that when I give my life to him, I have an eternity with him in heaven. So today I declare to the people in this room that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I will never again be the same as I have been in the past. I will walk from this place a new creation in Christ. And I will give him all the praise. I'm saved today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You can return to your seats. One final appeal. I'm going to close the service in just a minute. Thank you for respecting the house. But I want to know this. Who here today is going to stand to say, Lord, as, I, as Isaiah did, here am I, send me. By the grace of God, I will be the blessing I was designed to be. I will be the blessing by leading those around me to Christ. I will be a blessing by opening my heart and being an open display of the love of God. If that is your commitment, would you stand to your feet this morning? Lord, here am I, send me. Now let's lift our hands together. This open only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Lord, for some of us here today, we're asking that you will fan the flame, maybe the flicker of a flame, because we've become tired, complacent, doubtful, if you ever did even give us a promise. But we understand that your timetable is not our timetable, and we're going to wait on the Lord as we commit our will and our way to you. So, Lord, we are saying together, here am I. Say it, church. Send me. Make me a blessing to my day and generation for the glory of the name of Jesus. Now, let's all stand, put your hands together, and give the Lord a clap of praise.